People care. They care about the grammar. <laughs> the grammar. The grammar. Oh, here, we here, here we go. go. Here we go. Here we go. You better. We better wrap it. Is it yes. my turn to do that? Is that? It's my turn. I think. Okay. Or do you want me to do it? Because no, so no, no. <laughs> Fifteen minute increments. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of one with my Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, ages 6 to 12. I am here with Rachel, mother of two, with her Montessori infant toddler certification, ages birth through three, and Megan, mother of two, who has her Montessori certification in lower elementary, ages 6 to 9. So let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? Who wants to go first? Oh, well, I could say I'll take everybody's that we had our play date. Good one. Good one. Montessori moms in the wild. We met at a park and that was the first time in a long time that all three of us and our babes have got together. So yeah, it was great. And they're all over the place living their best Montessori life. <laughs> but it was so good. It was good for my soul. And it was just good to be there. Also, this is pretty funny. Um, my child likes to watch Spidey and his amazing friends. And there was a little boy dressed up as in a Spider-Man costume at the park. And my little boy was shell-shocked. Like he was like, oh my gosh, there is Spider-Man. <laughs> Daddy, I cannot even believe Spider-Man is at the park with me. So I think Garrett was just as yeah, actually <laughs> starstruck. Yes, Garrett was just as amazed. They both were just like glued to this kid, and this kid was like super athletic too. I mean, he was jumping and twisting and spinning and climbing. He was Spider Man. That might have been the real Spider Man, guys. My daughter is also still talking about it today. I don't remember <laughs> what happened. Something Chris asked, who lives in a web or what kind of spider lives in the web? And she said, Spider-Man. And he was like, what? And I was like, that's that's Rachel's fault. <laughs> it's Garrett's fault. Okay, You're right. You're right. It's totally I do not Garrett's like fault. Spidey and his amazing friends. But. <laughs> I'm just kidding though. Obviously it was adorable. But yeah, that was a highlight for sure. Well, you know what? I'll just go next and say that I subbed in a toddler classroom at our school, the school that we all at some point or another worked at or are currently working at. I was asked if if I could help out in Rachel's room. So Rachel's still on her maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And even though there's a sub for that room, the sub they found had already had a vacation on the books. So long story short, I ended up in a toddler classroom. And y'all, I just want to say that Rachel is an angel from above. I just want to bless you here publicly in front of everyone. We are not worthy. All toddler teachers are for sure. Man, I mean, 
what an experience. I loved it. I love so much about it, but gosh, was I tired at the end of, and I didn't even stay the full day. I just like stayed through putting everybody down for a nap time, but that was no joke. It squashed the FOMO right out of me. Megan asked me the other day, like, hey, how you doing? It's a couple weeks into the school year. Are you still feeling like you're missing out, feeling left out? And I was like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) So, so yeah, that was, that was just such an experience. And also really cool to cuz you know I have I have a toddler but I have one so it's really cool to see the philosophy play out in a room full of them too yeah the room I was in specifically has 16 toddlers oh goodness that is a, a party yeah ranging from brand new to school to this is their kind of capstone year in toddler and they've done this a couple times before and just seeing it all play out you know using that language so consistently and seeing how it resonated with those kids and mediating what could be such a like just dramatic and difficult day so much more easily just was a really good reminder of why we do what we do and why we chose this philosophy but like i said No joke, man. Being a toddler teacher is quite a job. So thank you, Rachel, for your service to this nation. (laughs) (laughs) To this world. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that was beautiful. Um, (laughs) Just lovely. Just lovely. I have two toddlers and I'm so tired all the time. I don't know how you do so many. You guys watched me chasing my children just all around that park. (laughs) So we had a bit of a kind of hectic little week into the weekend. My son, he woke up in the morning, like really early in the morning, like three o'clock and he was kind of fussy, but that's not unlike him. And finally around 530, I was like, fine, I'll just get up. We were both so tired. And so I got up, went into the guest bedroom with him and laid down. And he was kind of like, he was kind of snuggling. He was kind of just fidgety and he was kind of scratching his body. But we get bug bites here a lot. Like there are a ton of mosquitoes out right now. And I just thought, oh, he must have gotten a bug bite. And so finally around like 6.30, he just wasn't going to sleep. And so I just turned on the lights and was like, okay, we'll just get ready for the day. And he is just covered from head to toe in just these hive looking, they didn't even really look like hives. They were just these like blotches of red and they were everywhere. Like his face, his back, his stomach, his arms, like anywhere they could be, they were. I grabbed my husband and he was like, oh, like, what is that? And I was like, I have no idea. I, one, immediately felt so guilty. Like I had been up with him for, like we, he'd been kind of complaining since three and I just never thought to like turn on the lights and look at his skin like why would you think why that? Would you, you, know? yeah. you wouldn't want to turn on all the lights because then there's like really no chance that he's yeah, going back to like sleep party day. I yeah. would have done the same thing yeah. yeah and so it was super early in the morning like I said it was like 6 30 so we weren't gonna go to the pediatrician's office because they weren't open and so we just kind of looked at each other and it looked so bad you guys saw pictures of it like it looked yeah. so bad it was so bad and so we're like we just need to take him to the emergency room. So we take him to the emergency. Like his eyes are swollen shut almost. Like his ears are huge. Like obviously he's having some kind of reaction to something. And my biggest concern was like, can he breathe? Right. Like that's what we were mostly worried about. So we got to the emergency room, which was our first emergency room visit as parents and super stressful. They were really, really nice. There was like nobody there and they like let him watch Coco Melon and just like chill on the bed. And 
gave him some Benadryl and we found out that he had an allergic reaction to his antibiotic that he was taking for an ear infection. And so we leave and then we wake up in the morning and it's worse. Like he can barely see through his eyes. He's like bruised everywhere. We had to take him to the pediatrician then because we knew at that point that it wasn't like life-threatening. Yeah. So we took him into the pediatrician that morning poor child. He was just pitiful. He was just miserable. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just a a tough time. And I just, I kept thinking about our good friend and great listener slash hype girl, Anna, who has her son going through treatment for infant leukemia right now. And I just kept thinking about her of like how so many parents, this is like their daily yeah. life and just this fear and this unknown and living in hospitals. And so something that we wanted to talk about, I didn't want to forget because you had mentioned it, Laura, is to talk about that September is Children's Cancer Awareness yeah. Month. Yeah. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So we just wanted to shed a little bit of light on this really underfunded research that is happening within pediatric cancer. And so we will be sharing throughout the month of September and probably on because children aren't only affected in September. We will be sharing different places you can donate to or ways you can build awareness around childhood cancer. And if you can just also just in your thoughts and prayers, be thinking about our friend Anna and her son Javier, who are dealing with this every day right now. So we love you, Anna. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yep. And Jacob. And Biscuit. Yeah, all their of whole you. family. We love their whole family you. and their whole community around them because it doesn't just affect one person. It's so true. And there's a good chance if you're listening, you can think of at least one person in your life yeah. who's going through this absolute nightmare right now. So yep. whatever you can do to help, we implore you to step up and do it. Yeah. And we will be doing the same. So we are really excited about today's guest and just want to get into that. I guarantee you that this is one of our best favorite interviews. We've had some amazing ones and this one just had us all hype. Yeah. Floored afterwards. We were so excited. So really excited for you all to listen. So let's get into today's topic. Today, we are so incredibly excited to welcome Tatenda of Montessori on Wheels to the show. He has his Montessori credentials through AMS, ages birth through three years old, and his early childhood credentials through Montessori Center of the Rockies, ages three to six. He is the chief dreamer, which I love that title. How cool is that title? (laughs) So cool. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I am well. I mean, thank you for having me here. I'm so excited. Yeah, I feel like you are so busy. So the fact that you've taken time to talk to us about this incredible journey that you're on, we're so excited to hear about it. So why don't we get right into it? Rachel, do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start us off. So can you share how did you get here? Like, what's your background? What was your childhood like with Montessori? And what led you to where you are today? Wow, gosh. (laughs) Already, I'll take you back to Zimbabwe, uh, 1985. So I was born born in Zimbabwe uh, in a family of uh, five boys being the last one. Oh, wow. So I grew up with my big brothers and also our neighbors and friends and everybody around our community. So uh, whenever I think back to my childhood, I think of just being around so many people, uncles, aunts, and also like just being outside. Uh, I spent almost all my childhood outside. I didn't go to preschool. I think that time 
really, we didn't even go to preschool. There was nothing like preschool. You'd wait to go to first grade. So my memory from that time is just being outside, climbing trees, playing, and just like coming back home, uh, you know, with all the dust and just like my mom shouting, go take a shower <laughs> before you step foot in. Yeah, so I grew up in Zimbabwe, went to school in Zimbabwe, and uh, after high school, went to university, did theater arts and sociology. And then I um, went to Beijing, China in 2008 for a film festival, where I sort of stumbled on Manasari education. You know, somebody was opening a school, and they thought that I had some cool insights since I was working with young learners in Zimbabwe. So I went to audit a class and I was just so amazed with how children were working independently and almost the teachers were invisible. Mm. And at the same time, it took me back to my childhood. Like, yo, I grew up with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing that on the other side of the world is called Manasari education. So I was intrigued and just so fascinated. And uh, they were very kind enough to invite me to do the training if I wanted to. And I called my mom. I told her that I might have found a job. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to be a teacher. And she's like, I've always known, you know, so she loved telling people that she has always known that I was going to be a teacher. <laughs> Moms, such a mom <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, no, it is, right? It was a matter like of a, time. I always knew. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you never told me whether I go to university to do theater arts, right? <laughs> yes. So yeah, so uh, I went back to Zimbabwe and came back to China and I said, I'm going to do it for like a year. And I was there for seven years wow. before I moved to the US, uh, summer of 2015. And I was just so much in love with Manasari in Beijing that when I got here, I was so surprised again to learn that they even have infant and toddler training. So I went and I took that training because I was like, what did they learn <laughs> so little? <laughs> yeah, right? Turns out it's a lot. A lot. Yeah. A, lot, a lot, a lot. And it became my favorite. Actually, I love working with toddlers. It's like where I found so much joy yeah. and fulfillment. So I did that. And then I went back and I did my three to six. I sort of like had to train twice. Because, you know, when you come to the U.S., they always want you to either have the AMS or the AMI. So I went back and took the training here in Boulder, Denver, Colorado. And yeah, I've been working in different Manasari settings. And I think of myself as just like in love with Manasari. Like (laughs) every day, that's all I dream about. That's all I do every day. So yeah. You are in the right place, my friend. (laughs) You are in the right place. I love that we have yet to have a guest actually that didn't share in their story that when they stumbled upon Montessori, because I don't think, I think we've only had one person that grew up in the philosophy. Everyone else found it college years, maybe teens at the earliest, but everybody so far has been like, I was blown away. It changed Mm -hmm. my life. And I just knew like, this is for me. This is the way I want to do things. So I love that even all the way across the world in Africa, that same story is unfolding. And China, really, even further. Like, it's just, you're you're all over the map, man. It's so cool. (laughs) I was thinking it was so interesting how Montessori translates in different places, but at its core is the same. So in Beijing, in Colorado, those are two very different places, which is interesting how you ended up in such a different place. Colorado's its, its own world. I tell you, Megan, I will never do that again. If I give it a chance, I will never <laughs> I will never make the move from Beijing to Boulder. <laughs> that was not the wisest. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> I have, um, so I'm in my training right now, my three to six training, and I have a 
person in my cohort who she's training and she's going to be teaching in China. And she just all the time is just talking about the cultural differences. And she's like, well, how could that translate here, you know, from here over to where I am in China? Um, And it's just really interesting how different culturally it is. So I'm sure that was a huge shock for you, especially coming from Zimbabwe, then to Beijing, then to Boulder. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest shock was when I moved here to the US. Really? Honestly, because I think in Beijing, like I said, it took me back to my childhood in Zimbabwe. There was that in front of me where I felt like me again, three, four, five, six in Zimbabwe. But when I came to the US, it was another big shock not in a good way, it was so much of the commercialization of Manasar education. Mm. It was so uh, far yeah. removed from like the idea of like really rooted in hands-on and this education that has the potential to transform. So I struggled with that. And I'll get into more of like why Manasar on Wheels. I think it really came from that experience of it being so exclusive. What were you saying that was surprising to you that was different from what you had perceived Montessori to be in its Mm -hmm. authentic, the thing that you thought that you were drawn to? Yeah, it was that, that it was very exclusive. Where you would find Montessori was just like a particular area of where, you know, uh, people live. Yeah, yeah. In China, it didn't really have you know, that sense of like, oh, it is in this neighborhood only. And these people around this school sort of afford this kind yeah. of education. It's pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here it's you have to be rich and you have to be white. Right. And that's, I think, something that we've talked a lot about, which is not how Maria Montessori intended it. You know, that's mm-hmm. not, she was, when she started, she was with children who were not well off and Mm -hmm. we're not in a great place and we're not taken care of. And so, yeah, it it does feel far removed. It was never supposed to feel like it was only for privileged families, but we shared in our one episode, the history of Maria, what happened here in the United States when she first brought this philosophy here, people were floored. Everybody loved it. I mean, there were schools opening everywhere. And not too long after that, some major professor at I want to say Columbia University, who was like a professor of like education, right? Like he he taught teachers how to teach. And this philosophy was so radical compared to what he was teaching people. And he felt so threatened by it that he wrote this long, very damning article about the dangers of Montessori, mm-hmm. not preparing your children for real society because it doesn't force them into cliques. They won't know how to function in the real world. And people freaked out. People freaked out and all public Montessoris disappeared. And the only ones that remained were the ones that parents decided to foot the bill for. It said, mm-hmm. we still feel so strongly about this, that we want it to be accessible. So we'll just pay for it and make it private, unfortunately. And that's kind of the only way it's still sustaining here all these years later. And it's a shame. Right. So I guess this leads us perfectly then into the next question. Tell us more about the idea for Montessori on Wheels and how it it came to be. Yeah. So Montessori on Wheels, uh, I don't think you'll be surprised knowing that, you know, (laughs) I lived in London, in Beijing, uh, and now in the US, like I'm always like, you know, traveling. (laughs) It's almost as if I I just don't like the idea of just being confined in one space. Um, So the idea of being on wheels was like just so natural. People who know me, they're like, yay, of course. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't expect anything different. (laughs) And even my last name itself, it means... uh, a traveler, like a seeker, like, you know, so we are not just like travel, right? That's who we are. Oh, I love that. So we don't always use like full names on the podcast, but I had seen 
is your middle name Blessing? It is. Yeah. So you were just like born to do this, to just be (laughs) a blessing on wheels. (laughs) A Montessori blessing on wheels. Traveling blessing to (laughs) your community. Oh, okay. That's going to, okay. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So when I uh, came to the US, uh, you know, eight years ago, I was just working in different Montessori settings and my experience with Montessori education was just like so confined to these spaces, you know, where affluent people, middle, upper class, white, it almost felt like Montessori was very exclusive. Like it was Mm -hmm. just only in those schools, right? Even in public schools, charter schools, right? Uh, Here in Denver, we have like a choice system where you have to choice in. And not so many parents apparently have the knowledge of what's offered in their district. Also like in a public school where um, I was hoping to have more kids who looked like me, but um, unfortunately there were very few in my classroom. And it was just that the parents had no idea that this was also something that was offered or that they could access. Mm -hmm. So just before 2020, you know, before the world went crazy with COVID-19, I started asking myself, what really got me into Manasari? So I was just like talking to my friend, just trying to write this article about like why I got involved in Manasari education. And I realized that what had felt so good and so right for me in Beijing had somewhat disappeared when I moved to the United States. I almost felt like I had assimilated to being the only male teacher working with the toddlers, like being the only black man at their school. Like I was just like in these newsletters on this website. Like Marissa was just about that here, at least in Boulder and Denver. That was the experience that I had, you know, as a black male teacher. And I just wanted to be different in a way of going back to who I was in Beijing when I got into Manasar education. And I had no idea how to do it in a culture that was just like so exclusive in ways in which it thinks about education, that good education has to be offered here and there. And also just thinking about education as something that's just limited within schools, right? Within like a building, like a brick and mortar, like you have Mm -hmm. to go to somewhere to get it. And that's where you get the education. So then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to open a school for kids who look like me, for families who might have similar experiences. So my initial idea actually going through the pandemic was to open Manasari School, mainly focused to black and brown refugees, immigrants, and low income here in Denver. So what I did was, because we all had time, remember that time when we were at home, we just had all the time to do everything. Some people were baking bread. (laughs) Some people were doing all these things. So what I did was, I was driving my car, going into these uh, neighborhoods and speaking to families and showing them about monastery education, listening to their stories, sharing my story, and also just trying to get them to connect with Manasari, like exactly the same that I did in China. Like if maybe they have that exposure, if they see it, they might be able to make those connections and see, you know, something that's fit for uh, their family or their uh, little ones. Did people know? Did they know what it was? Were they yeah, familiar it was at all? Interesting. So most of them, they had no idea of what mm-hmm. it was. If they knew, they knew of it like, oh, yeah, we've seen a school there, right? Like in Cherry Creek, you know, somewhere. Uh, is it that school with those like fancy materials? So there was all these things that were just almost like far-reached, like, you know, something they've heard, something they've seen, not really something that they've experienced or like yeah. something that they would connect yeah. with. But that didn't seem to bother them much because, I mean, then I was there with some materials in my car, you know, like showing them like the pink tower, the golden beard. You were bringing like, materials oh around? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so literally I was bringing it to them because they really wanted to uh, open a school that really reflects, you know, the community and like not something like new, right? I wanted them to sort of like get to know it. So by the time that there's that school, they know that they were part of this process that led to that school opening in the neighborhood. Then summer of 2021, uh, last year, something happened is I was just like reflecting back to uh, that process that I'd gone through, you know, the pandemic of just like being out in the community, talking to many families. That one thing that they had shared with me that they had enjoyed so much was just me coming to them, right? Uh, Just showing them the master materials, talking to them about education, my experiences, teaching little ones, and that they'd enjoy that so, so, so much, right? So then I thought of it like, maybe, maybe this thing should be on wheels. Maybe the idea of really bringing Montessori should be something on wheels where we are taking it to the communities. Not so much about expecting them to come to a school because many, you know, programs out there, you know, we go, we talk about Montessori, then we expect parents to come to a school. Yeah. So I didn't want that to happen. I wanted them to just feel comfortable, like having something that comes to them, give them that exposure, give them that experience. So I told my friend one day, I'm like, this is Manasari on wheels. And we kind of like loved, you know, like, oh my gosh, what? And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to move Manasari from schools, Manasari from classrooms, Manasari from all these institutions and just bring it to the street and just bring it to different communities. So initially... We had no bus in mind. I had no, and I say we because I think of it as collective. Like, mm-hmm. I think you talked about the chief dreamer, right? I think of everybody who's involved in my being, being here, right? Like my friends, my family, you know, people that I work with, people who had conversation with me, who gave their time, even the space for me to dream about Mars on Wheels, to think about, oh, this could be a Mars on Wheels kind of model. So I always use we in that context of, I wasn't just like isolated thinking about it, coming up with the idea and then boom, there's the bus, there's everything. There was just so much interactions and space that I was given to like share with friends and ask questions. Yeah, so then the idea initially was just like, I wanted to move Manasari from uh, schools, from this brick and mortar model into the community. The idea of like, we don't want to just make it exclusive to schools, right? Let's bring it to the parents. Let's bring it to the communities Mm -hmm. with the knowledge that they cannot choose what they're not exposed to. Like most people, really, we expect them to choose when they don't know what they're choosing. Yeah. So maybe the first thing to do when we're really thinking about equity and access is to bring it to them so that they get to interact, experience it, Mm -hmm. and then maybe choose it for them. I mean, especially... Montessori schools are such a black box sometimes like parents send their kids they go inside and they never see they don't see what's even the kids that are enrolled they don't know what they do in that room Mm -hmm. they don't know what they're doing with the materials they're not a lot of times allowed inside which you know are for certain reasons but I love this idea of making it accessible and having it be seen and having it be this is for everyone which was the whole (laughs) this is right this is what we've been talking about. We just wish we could give this to everybody. And that's kind of why we started the podcast because we because we yeah. want, you know, just like you, like, why isn't it accessible? This is yeah, amazing. We don't want them to have to go to training to be able to be a parent that is offering sensorial experiences that is aspiring to let their children have 
freedom within limits and all of those things that we learn in training and have it be accessible to parents who want to do this or like you said, maybe you've never even heard of it before and be a resource. So yeah, this this is really, really exciting. And so you kind of talked about this already, which was our next question, but what is your mission with Montessori on Wheels? What what are you hoping to accomplish here? It is very simple, Megan. The mission here is to bring Montessori to the streets. Literally, we are taking Montessori to the streets and we are also getting the streets to Montessori education, right? So we are like really deconstructing classrooms that education can happen anywhere, anytime, anytime, honestly. Like it's not only limited in classrooms, right? We also like deconstructing the materials. Because one thing that I had that parents shared with me was that, you know, those fancy materials, which is very true. And I think it is also true for most schools that then it becomes more expensive because they have to buy those materials, right? So then they have to charge a tuition. So we are saying with Manasar on Wheels, uh, the way we partner with parents is honestly looking at those materials and dissecting the materials, like what is in the pink tower that makes learning natural and fun for a kid to learn about size. And that in itself is what we are giving them so that they can find something within their home, within their community that will serve the same purpose. So then they experience a Montessori without having to have the actual uh, Montessori materials. So really it is the experience. Because I think of Maria Montessori, to your point earlier on, when she said this whole thing was just like observing kids, how they interacted with their hands and their body and their senses, right? And it wasn't really so much about the material that then became Montessori materials mm-hmm. initially. Yeah. And we're saying that that in itself has so much power for access for most of our parents who may be able to afford a Montessori school. So that's what we are doing. So we are really hoping that they get to really experience Montessori and not have to say, hey, I didn't have access because I didn't go to a Montessori school. I didn't send my kid to a Montessori school. Yeah. But I did have access because I did experience Montessori in my neighborhood, at my local school, at my local church, at my local library. I saw the bus, you know, it came to me, you know, we did Montessori. So that's exactly what we're doing. And with that model too, we sort of like privilege storytelling as technology. So we are really centered in collecting stories and coming together and sharing our stories, knowing that there's so much power when we're able to share our stories, right? Like what happens if we teach through storytelling? And I think in elementary, they do it so well. Yes, the cosmic curriculum. And that's the same thing, right? In most indigenous cultures that everything is told through stories. So stories really ignite imagination and curiosity, which is all we need for learning. Yeah. Yeah. So we do a lot of storytelling on the bus as a way of introducing anything that's on the bus, anything that we are, you know, giving them exposure to. You should look into, not that you're not very busy right now, but if you ever look into your elementary training, dude, you would love it. The big impressionistic stories that are totally rooted in, in as much like fact and science as possible. Just such a cool part of the, like I said, cosmic curriculum. Mm-hmm. But what I love about what you're doing is that you are making the philosophy accessible mm-hmm. in a way more profound way than I can say that I have given to any family that had enrolled in my private school. Right. Because a lot of times those families, they lived in a very specific way in which for a lot of those kids being given freedoms, being given choices and being held accountable and responsible only happened in my classroom. Yep. 
being told that they should be kind to everyone, no matter who they are, and that we have more in common than we have uh, different from each other. It was the only place they ever heard such a concept. And when they left that classroom, that was all put on pause again, you know, like they went back to their lives. And what you're doing, bringing it out into the community is teaching them. And even if they can't go to the brick and mortar school up the street, the philosophy is about so much more than education and academics, and it can bleed into everything else. And I love that you're kind of unlocking these mystical, mythical materials by just teaching them, why did she come up with this? What concept was she trying to teach? Cool. More than one way to skin a cat, my friends, we can teach this concept in a different way. The important part is we're making the concept accessible to the child. And I just I just love everything about the way that you're doing it because it is so much more profound I think than yeah what we have been trained to do <laughs> here yeah. in the US for a lot of us I, I can't speak yeah. for every Montessorian in the US but that's certainly yes. how I feel thank you I was really curious about kind of how you're doing this and so do you have teachers on the bus or like how does that work is it are they going to a school and then you get to use the materials on the bus like how how exactly does that work for your community and that's the question that everybody everybody has <laughs> trust me <laughs> like how but like how yes and i'm not surprised i feel like Montessori, you know to your point is very mystical all this so you know there's always this mystery yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you're trying yeah. to do a Montessori education and uh with Montessori on wheels so how it works is I always tell people that we are not a classroom on wheels. We are not a classroom. Because I think the idea of a classroom to me doesn't really sit well when I think of like to your point, right? Like they just go into this classroom and they're just like logged in this box, right? Mm -hmm. Where learning should happen, the teacher is there. And with Manasone Wheels, we believe that the world is your classroom. The world is your learning space. Like yeah. literally the bus for us gives that platform where they get to see the world as their learning space. So they get on the bus and they get to see the community as like, oh, there's so much within our community that I can learn from. So it's not just a bus. It is a learning space that kind of gives them that new ways of thinking about uh, where learning is happening, where learning should happen, and who's involved in that learning. You know, one thing too, and I'm going to go back to your question. I want to just like get you to how it works, where it's coming from as well, where we informed from uh, some of the experience that I had with education in America is what I've seen mostly with my kids, if not all of them, is that, you know, they're always in their parents' cars, uh, you know, to school and then from school back home. It's as if like there's nothing that exists between home and school. Right. Yet I know like, you know, for me and for some people, there was a time when they used to walk to school. So you would like see a lot of things in between. There was so much learning, be it the trees, be it the people you'd greet, be it that little uncle down the street. Everything was just like connected, right? You talk about cosmic education. I think it wasn't just like limited in classroom. There was so much happening as you go to school and as you come back home, right? And for most young learners, a bus is something that takes them to a school. And with Marathon Wheels, we are like, you know, sort of giving them a new way of thinking about the bus. Like now the bus comes to you. So you don't have to go to a school with the bus. The bus is bringing that for you. So really, we are deconstructing a lot of narratives here. So how it works is we do have teachers. So we do actually have an elementary teacher because uh, I'm zero to six trained and my friend is uh, six to adolescent trained. So we bring the bus. So we partner with uh, schools and communities with the work that we do. So we do have like visits we do with the schools, with public schools, traditional schools. 
So we also seen that sort of like really getting more Manasari in the public, which is good. Mm-hmm. But we can also start by bringing that exposure to parents and to kids already enrolled in schools. So we come during the enrichment time, so their after school time, and we have them come and access the bus. They get to see the material. So how it works with that too is the bus comes as only practical life. Like literally tomorrow, <laughs> we're actually going to Collegeville uh, as practical life. So our bus right now is set up as practical life. So we go there, we expose them to practical life. We talk with parents. We talk with uh, our young learners. We expose them to that experience. And then next month, it's going to be language. So the bus only has language materials. So we sort of like really highlight and spotlight all the areas in Manasari. And also on weekends, we do our community visits where we go to a church, where we go to a park, wherever where we can find uh, people where they gather. So the bus itself sort of has the magic that people want to come in and see like what's up, what's happening on the bus. So we haven't had to like really do a lot of marketing with the bus. It looks really cool, by the way. It looks awesome. Yeah, (laughs) the paint job is pretty cool. I would be interested. I'd be like, what's that? Yeah. Let's go check out that bus. It actually reminds me a lot. Did you ever watch the Magic School Bus? The Magic School Bus. Yep. People always tell me that. I was like, oh my gosh. So it looks like that, like this thing that's going to take you on an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. On an adventure that you never would have been able to access before, which is something that we all got to watch as children and these children get to experience it in real life which is really right. cool you're like a real life mr frizzle <laughs> yeah, told me like they're gonna get me a shirt right <laughs> that was told them like the magic school bus sort of gave that hope right of the adventure yeah. right and now we are literally living through that adventure yeah so we feel like we're like a complete to the magic school bus we're now the adventures right there you know yeah in your neighborhood at a local school local library local church at your local park so that's how it works so we do have partnership with uh local district here with some of the schools where we visit every first Tuesday of the month. So like tomorrow is the first Tuesday of the month. So we're going to the school tomorrow. Then we have the second Tuesday. Then we have the first Thursday. So we have like four schools that we really partner with within Denver. Then we have also one school outside Denver where we go every Monday. So for uh, 12 weeks, they get to experience the bus. Uh, so what happens is the kids, is they on the bus. There's also a teacher outside who's talking to the parents what's happening on the bus. So that there is that communication. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What is really happening with them interacting with these materials? Uh, what are they learning? How can you also do this at home? And we've had so many parents ask to also like have them come and do Marasari for parents, mm-hmm. which was something that we well, wasn't like really our original design. So now we have on weekends. So every weekend following the first visit of the bus to your school, we have parents come and do Marasari with us as a way of also like them getting to experience it so that they can innovate at home yeah. and how they can also do the same with um, with their kids. I love that. We do a parent night at my school in toddler and allow the parents to come in and experience the shelves and walk through the classroom. And they're always in awe because I think a lot of times, like Megan said, the doors are shut and you don't really know what happens. Yeah. So to be able to experience that themselves is like, then I feel like they're like already eating the bread and butter. They're like, oh my gosh, I have to have more of this because now I'm doing it myself. My kid has to do this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it hasn't just been inaccessible to children. It's also really inaccessible to parents. And it's like you said, if they don't even know that it's an option, I think was the case for all of us. Like I didn't even know what Montessori was. And I felt so angry that I had gone through college and I didn't point my 
career in that direction because I didn't even know it was a choice. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. They have children and then years later, they're like, oh, I didn't even know that I could do that. And so I think that that's so amazing that you're giving them the opportunity to even choose because that's the thing, right? Is like a lot of communities don't have the choice. It's okay if you don't want to do Montessori, but it should be an opportunity and a choice for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really amazing that you're doing that. And that was kind of my other practical question was kind of how you choose what goes on the bus, but it sounds like you kind of have a rotating curriculum. Yeah. It sounds like it's a lot of work. Do you have like a big calendar or something? Yes, we do. And it's a lot of moving because again, we're on the bus ride, so they don't stay on the shelf. So every day we like move the stuff. And uh, so the first visit, the first bus visit to any uh, location is the exposure, a uh, monastery exposure, we call it. So the bus has all the materials. So we have like five materials from each section. So we have it all highlighted on the bus on our first exposure visit. Then the, the next visit to the same site would then be like practical life language how do you choose what goes like out of five materials like how do you choose which one is do like the introductory like lessons Mm -hmm. so we literally do the scope and sequence so that again the idea is to get them like hooked right and then they want to see what comes next so then they get to come and they do come and we don't even expect them to sign up that's one thing too so we don't expect them to sign up we really want them when they have the time to come like that moment that time that day that they come on the bus want to be very rich for them uh, and hopefully that they'll be able to come so i think this year we are hoping that this will be true that next year they'll be able to organize themselves and say hey we want this can we like come as a pod and like really access the bus for this how long because i think the idea of say five sessions are good for parents who says five sessions are good for parents we don't know right i think it's something that's really in privilege where we say parents have time to like plan for five months or five weeks of their time to come and you know do Montessori uh one-on-one uh or parenting classes so we're just saying like whenever the bus is around your community come yeah so my big question for you now is that you had this dream and you had this idea and it took all this work and all of this community resources and people backing you up now that it's here and people are coming and people are excited like how does that how does that feel for you what has that experience been like for you to watch this dream become real it's been so so hard you know uh i used to hear about imposter syndrome a lot right (laughs) yeah and i'm like whoa yeah yes i it's just so hard. And I think as Montessori educators, we are also taught humility and being so humble and being in service, right? So it's hard to celebrate ourselves. And I've, I mean, it's been for me, <laughs> you know, thinking about, wow, this is happening. It is actually yeah. there. There is a bus. People are talking about a second bus. Like, you know, we have funders already like interested in, you know, growth where this, we have a bus in, you know, in Aurora, a bus in Denver and a bus somewhere else. It's been a good testimony to what Manasa Outreach can do, like the power that's there when we invest in Manasari Outreach, right? Like there's a need for someone to evangelize Manasari. Literally, there should be someone doing this gospel outside the classrooms. And it feels so good that, you know, it really translates well with who I am as an educator. I love talking to parents. I love being outside. So the idea of being in the classroom was just so confining for me. So it's been really good to see Manasari materials, you know, out on the street, people like really using them. The way that 
in the classroom would not at all mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, allow it to you know to be like that but then it also gives me like an idea of like what else can happen if we really you know give that trust to parents and like let go yeah let go because yeah. at the end of the day we want them to really get that buy-in i think you mentioned it that all kids are involved in Manasari, but not all parents right right yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm just really stuck on there's a need to evangelize Montessori. I just love that the way that you put that so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really speaks. I bet that speaks to all three of us, huh, ladies? Yeah. Because again, Rachel said we wanted to start this podcast because we felt so strongly about making Montessori accessible to parents who like don't have to ha- have their kid enrolled in a classroom, don't have to trust that some trained toddler guide is going to teach their kid how to be all these things that you can start doing right away in your home. And we try to give these practical and real life tips for how to start implementing it right now without the fancy wooden material. We constantly are saying Montessori was not her materials. Mm -mm. It was so much bigger than that. And I just think if you ever start recruiting on the East Coast over here, we've got three (laughs) Montessori evangelists right here ready to preach for you because... You're already doing the work. Like, I love your podcast. You know, I mean, I think there was one of you who in the episode with Gabriella who was talking about you don't have to like sell a kidney right like yeah. but there is moments in Montessori honestly where it yeah. is that expensive right yeah. we all three a- our children are in Montessori schools and it yeah. is a sacrifice it's a yeah. sacrifice yeah. like it's kind of either for a lot of families it's you know, you get to go on vacation or you get to go to a Montessori school or you get to have the house you want or the car you want or you get a Montessori education. Yeah. And for yeah. some families and that's and those are for the privileged families, for other families, it's not even it's not even a consideration. It's yeah. not even right. a thought. And then for others, they don't even know. They don't even know mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. so, yeah, I I think one of the biggest reasons that I was so drawn to you and was so excited about you immediately was that this is so different. And it challenges, I think, as Montessorians, all of us, you know, we go through our training and we're taught, this is the way you do it. And it challenges that a lot. But, you know, Maria Montessori herself, she was a disruptor. And I think you are just disrupting things all over the place. Honestly, if you come on the bus, everybody who's been on the bus, the magic is still there. Yeah. Which to your point, it is not so much about the materials. Like when we have communities, families, and you know, young learners on the bus. You get to see it happening without any of those like strict ways of thinking about, you know, this is how we walk in our classroom, this is how we do things in our environment, which is good for that brick and mortar model. But it's been amazing. I think to your point, again, to the question that you asked, that has been really where my heart just like melts. Like, you know, I had one little kid who walked in and was just like, oh my gosh, I want to live here. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we get to read, we get to like do math. We get Like they feel like they can just be there, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what we want. Like, okay, you can connect with everything that's here. And, you know, one parent what you know they were just like walking and they're like hey what is this and I said yeah just come in and you know as soon as she walked in she was like oh my goodness like a cultural hibiscus as she was looking at the math mm. bid cabinet mm. those mm-hmm. golden chains she was just like in love with it I'm just like that's what we want yeah we yeah. want you to like fall in love I'm just like smiling ear to ear talking because <laughs> this is just like the 
I just love it. I can't get enough of it. I want to go on the bus right now. <laughs> I want to go Michigan. on the bus Actually, too. I'm really hoping that this will help then when parents go to schools that they have that reignite, you know, like their love has been reignited. Like mm-hmm. they go yeah. back, like, you know, just like so much ready to learn that I've had some, you know, exposure on the bus. I had so much fun on the bus. Now I can go back and ask my teacher questions. I can show them that I might know a little bit of this or how to do this differently. Um, so, yeah, we are really excited that, you know, we're getting parents and families and communities so much of what might have been lost with the experiences in education, like that laugh, like mm-hmm. we can have fun learning even on a bus. And I think that's one thing that people also get shocked. Like there's so much space on a bus. You can do this on a bus. I'm like, yes, you sure can. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I feel like the thing that I was thinking about as you were talking was that the whole idea initially was that the the environment and the casa, right, belonged to the children. And that was mm-hmm. Maria Montessori's whole idea. And like you said, I, you're deconstructing a lot, but you're also bringing light to a lot of the purposes and like the, the real foundational pillars of Montessori, which not only are you having this bus come to them, it belongs to them. And it not just belongs to them, but it belongs to the community, which is just so beautiful. And something I really do think that we have lost in the United States in our, at least in my Montessori experience, that's what I've experienced is that it doesn't belong to the children a lot of the time, and it doesn't belong to the community. And so I think that's just so amazing. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Mm -hmm. I know you're very busy. Does anyone have Laura, Rachel, do you guys have any other questions? Because I have a hundred, but I I know that you. Have a lot to do. <laughs> well, what's the thing with a question? I'm gonna tell you something too that was very cool when we were like doing our exposure visits, just showing up in different locations around Denver. We had one lady who works for a high school with high school students. Uh, you know, she came to the bus with a little one, and then in that experience, she also. So the potential of having this at a high school as a way to really speak to the inner child of the high school students. Like if they get on this bus and interact and just like experience the bus, it may reignite some of their love for learning. So we do have a partnership with that high school now where we show up once every month for their family nights just as a way of like what can be possible, right? If we like really expose ourselves in Montessori environment on a bus. (laughs) So yeah, it's been really interesting to see those things that I we didn't have initially in our design, but that the community is constantly showing us like the potential that's there when we really bring Montessori and bring education to them and do education with them, not to them. So yeah. Well, I think that's one of your greatest gifts is your flexible mindset, the idea that you can continue to adapt and change and grow. I think that's, again, very Maria of you to do. (laughs) Um, And it's obviously how you even got here. And I cannot wait to see where you keep going because it sounds like because of your willingness to truly observe your community and listen and, and take that feedback, you're just getting started. Yeah. And it's just... Is so cool. I just feel privileged to even know you. That's what I was like. We have to get him. Yeah, she did. She freaked out a little bit. She was freaking out. <laughs> just side note. So I found your Instagram, right? And I, I messaged the girls and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him. And I always get really nervous before I ask people. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him. I they had I was waiting for them to be like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, guys, he's already, he's gone from like 200 followers to a thousand followers in like the last three hours. <laughs> 
course. He's going to yeah. be too cool for us in about two minutes. He's like, I need you <laughs> to tell me that you are available right now. Do not blow this for us. We were like, we, we're on it. Do it. Whatever. It, we'll be there. Whenever he's ready, we'll be there. Yeah. So we are very humbled that you have joined us tonight. And I just see Rachel just sitting there like this. Like her mind is just <laughs> – My mind up. is literally blown. Like I'm like, ah. <laughs> and you're a male infant toddler teacher, which, oh my gosh. I love it. So I'm infant toddler. So like I wish we had – we don't even have a male in our building for a children's house or a toddler. And it's such a bummer. We used to. He moved on. But, oh, it, it's just – my mind is blown. <laughs> I definitely feel like we have been in the presence of Montessori greatness tonight, ladies. Yeah. And I just have yeah. a question. Are we buying a bus or what? Yeah, I know. I know. Do we need to? Are we franchising? Is that the- is this happening? There's no franchising here. We are bringing access. So you're buying a bus over there. I want to hear that there's a bus in this <laughs> Let's do like, it. You're doing your storytelling and you also have a bus. Wouldn't that be cool to have a podcast on the bus? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. This guy gets it. Look, he just already connected the dots for us. Yeah. It'll be- yeah. If we need ideas, I'm coming to the idea guy right here. He's <laughs> yeah. a machine. It's happening. It's happening. Rachel, do you want to hit? Because I feel like this is important because I want people to, like, I, I want to know how we can support you also. So go ahead. Yeah. We'd love to support you and we know our listeners will feel the same. So where can we go to follow your journey and support your mission? org. So www.minusoutonwheels.org. You will learn about where we are, what we're doing. And I think the hope outside Denver, Colorado, is hopefully other people can do the same, right? Can, you know, like think of access and in, in different ways where we can move it from uh, schools into the community. Uh, and we are on Instagram we're on Facebook. But I think the support that we really want is for everyone to really think what access means in their own communities, like really being out there evangelizing Montessori. That's what we really value at Montessori Wheels, having people who are out there doing the work so that we are all celebrating that everybody has access. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I love storytelling. So podcasts are my thing. (laughs) So thank you for bringing access to that medium as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling the girls, I was like, I listened to your lives and I I listened to some of your radio show, but I didn't want to listen to too much because I was like, I don't want to know everything because I want to be surprised. (laughs) Yes. But I started listening to it. I was like, this guy's a pro. He's totally got this. We can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Okay, let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. I actually am just going to go ahead and start with this one because it happened last night and the first thing I did was send a voice note to the both of you saying, please don't let me forget to tell this story because I can already tell I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of eternity. So I was at the grocery store last night solo right? So like that's a whole vibe of its own. And I walk up to the express lane. There's a very nice gentleman in front of me. I can see the like last of what's in his cart and what's going across the conveyor belt is a dozen roses, a whole bunch of baby's breath. And at the bottom of all of that buried underneath is a giant box of Ferrero Rocher chocolates. Love those so much. Chocolate and hazelnut. <laughs> and I love to say it too, Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> <laughs> Not how I thought it was going to come out. <laughs> Just keep drinking your coffee, Megan. Yeah, let's see if we can't get a sponsorship there. They're like, no, you can't even say it right. Okay. Please, <laughs> please sponsor us and give us free, Please. delicious, 
Candice. <laughs> All right. My point is I'm seeing what this gentleman is acquiring and I'm excited about it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is a beautiful little score you've got here. So I don't know what came over me. Maybe just the freedom <laughs> of not having a child. But I, I loudly said, dude, flowers and Ferrero Rocher. And he was caught off guard and, you know, whips his head back towards me just in time to see me struggling to get my keys out of my hands because I'm also holding the rest. Like, I can't, God forbid I get a cart or a basket. I'm holding everything in my hands. And now I'm trying to make the, like, okay symbol, you know, like the, like, okay, good idea type of trying to do a little, like, sign language feedback that I approve of this purchase. I can't covering her eyes. I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> I basically tell him like aces and he, you know, like smiles like a little bit timidly and I go, you're going to have a good night. Oh and God. he bursts into laughter and then quiets down, turns beet red and goes, I hope so. <laughs> and then he pays for his stuff immediately picks up the bag and walks out of that store faster than I have ever seen a human leave a grocery (laughs) store. So, sir, if you are out there, surely you are listening. I want you to know (laughs) that I'm sorry that I made everyone around us probably very uncomfortable. Um, I really was genuinely happy for you. I feel like it was a win because either, you know, either he's going to go home and surround himself with flowers and eat some delicious chocolates or he's mm-hmm. going to give it to someone who is probably going to be very thankful for it. So I just feel like he was in for a good evening and I was just happy for him and wanted to, you know, celebrate that together verbally in the grocery store. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you are that person. That's hilarious. I, not normally, and it occurs to me that he was probably very, you know, a private private when it comes to things like that. And ironically, so am I. So again, I have no idea why I felt the need to be like, hey, yeah, buddy. Hey, thumbs up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Have a great night. But See, I did. It's just I one of those it. things like when we don't have our children with us, like we become other We're people. We're like, don't know how to act. Who yeah. am I? And like right now, so we've been recording these intros and confessions in the morning. And like, who are we? It's life-changing. Well, you have a child around, Rachel. You're still yourself, I guess. Your mom's self right now. (laughs) She keeps running back and forth to put passies. She's asleep now. (laughs) She's been asleep for 25 minutes solid. So we're in that uh, three, four-month regression. So, Ouch. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Shout out to you and all the other mamas who are – and dads and caregivers who are not sleeping at all right now. Mm -hmm. Rachel? Do you have? I can share. This is just kind of funny. So this is not anything crazy. But so we sent our wonderful, beautiful German Shepherd that we love so much to training for like the entire month of August because the barking, like he's the best dog ever and we love him so, but just the barking at every single person that walks by my house and just like all the, just the jumping. And I was like, I need him to hype down if we have two kids and, you know, and my husband works a lot. So like he's not here and two dogs and two kids, I'm just like overwhelmed. So I'm like, okay, he's got to hype down. So we sent him into training, which was nice because we had a lot of traveling to do anyways. But so he comes back and like, we, we also have to be trained, right. To like, yeah. teach him all his stuff. Yeah. And the trainer is telling us like you don't say stop or no, you say uh-uh. Because stop or no are common things we use all the time, like, you know, if I say hey Finley, stop or whatever. So, yeah. uh-uh. So the other night, I put my toddler to bed. He's in his crib 
and he has his white noise on um, that we have white noise in the hall too, because we're just so loud. And partly because of Rex's barking, we've always just had white noise like in the hall also to like max out sound in our house and on the monitor. Rex barks and I hear him say, "Uh uh-uh. <laughs> and he's like looking at the monitor with his finger like, uh-uh, hush, no bark. And I'm like, even now he has picked up on the, uh-uh. And it's, it just cracked me up because like he had been in his crib for probably 20, 25 minutes. Like he had not just been put to sleep. He was just chilling in there. And then all of a sudden, we just hear a, uh-uh. And, and <laughs> they pick up on everything, don't they? They sure do. He was following through with Rex's commands. Even though Rex didn't hear that, he was following through. So it was clever. I love that. And you know what's funny is I feel like kids do pick up uh-huh. language and the skills to train dogs faster than adults do. Because there's just like less habits to break, mm-hmm. right? Or less language to redo. And yeah. as soon as you said, uh-uh, I was like, oh, Finley's going to love that. Mm-hmm. He's going to hear you guys going, uh-uh, uh-uh. And now I can't wait to hear him say it the next <laughs> yeah. time we're all together. Uh-uh. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay, Megan, hit us with it. Okay. So I had thought of this recently going back, back in time, time machine. Here we go. <laughs> back to my my elementary days again. Yes. A lot of stuff happened when I was like, I'm starting to realize this. And I was in the third grade and it was the spelling bee. And I love spelling. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura and I can talk about, that's actually like where we bonded for the first time. We were taking this like week long spelling and reading and handwriting course. How long was it? It was like 90 hours. Like it was ridiculously it was long. way too many hours, but we were just eating it Oh well, yeah, yeah. We both we, love that stuff. We love we love that stuff where you talk about grammar and etymology and all the things all day. I won't, I promise. So I was in there was like a school-wide spelling bee and you did it like in your class, like amongst your classmates first. And then whoever wins goes and does like the grade-wide for like all the third graders spelling bee. So I was super excited because I had won in my class. I was going on to the spelling bee. And, you know, it's if you have like 20 something kids in your class, you have it's like 20 something words that you've spelled correctly. So I was feeling really good. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to crush this spelling bee and I'm going to be just the best speller in the third grade was my goal. (laughs) Slash all of California, probably. Totally. And so the day comes and they like made a really big deal about it. So, you know, you got to stand up in front of everyone and like all the kids come, everyone's watching and it's the first round. And I'm so nervous. Like I, everyone's watching me and I'm like shaky and nervous. And so my first word is earth. Oh boy. (laughs) And I just, I know how to spell earth. (laughs) Of course. And I did at that point too. But I got nervous and I just like just spat out the first just really fast. I was like, Earth, E R T H, Earth. (laughs) 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 And they were like, that is incorrect. And I was immediately out of the spelling bee. And I think about it a lot. Like, (laughs) more than I should. Like, every day you think about it. That A, you know? Because yeah. then I just everyone looked at me like, "How'd this girl get here?" Like, she how did she Earth, like we it's live, where you all live that girl. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, oh, um, Megan, just to, you know what? I want to like regain my power. Earth, 
E-A-R-T-H, Earth. That is correct. Nice job. Thank you. <laughs> Can I get the origin? Yeah, I was going to say, wait, are you going to ask me for origin? Ask me to use it in a sentence? Because we could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you promise not to, but I cannot make that kind of promise. <laughs> we better wrap it up right now, everybody. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> we almost shared our very long grammar um, argument that we had on text message. And I will say, Laura, that I have been racking my brain and I, you win. Oh, you win. Oh, that's a pleasant surprise. Um, I know, I know that I won, but um, I'm glad to hear you say it. And I still feel like that could come up another day because I think it was I'm very compelling. I'm just going to thank you both for texting in a separate message about <laughs> yeah. that and not our normal group. I was smart enough to, to go offline on that one and be like, listen, <laughs> Rachel's going to kill us. So let's talk Do about you this. talk about <laughs> articles and nouns and adjectives <laughs> separately. Um, yeah. I mean, if you want to hear this story or want to talk about this really interesting thing, just comment on our latest episode and prove Rachel wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week. Stay wild.